Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. We had a great start to our Wednesday Bible study, and we invite you to come out on Wednesday night. We have stuff for our children, our youth, and our adults over on the other side of the campus. We'd love for you to be a part of our series, looking at the life of Abraham and learning to live by faith. And it's hard to believe that six months are over today, that this is the last message in a six-month series on the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Revelation as we look this morning at the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I just want to read these verses from the very opposite side of the Bible to remind us that the Holy Spirit is from cover to cover. That from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, God is declaring it is always and only by His Spirit. Let me remind you of the first two verses in the Bible from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. At the very beginning of time as we know it, the Spirit of God was moving upon creation. And with the Son and with God the Father, our Holy Trinity created the universe. And we have seen throughout the entire New Testament the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit amongst His people. And so today, again, we come to the conclusion of our series, looking at the very last book of the Bible and seeing the Holy Spirit here as well. And the first thing I want us to direct our attention to is the exaltation of the Spirit in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. John the Apostle has been exiled to an island called Patmos. It's a pretty rough place. And he is there because of his faith and his testimony about Jesus. And notice what John says in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I want to go back to that phrase, I was in the Spirit. John is describing the exaltation of our human spirit by God in order to get us to a place where we can receive from God in order where we can truly see God and know God and understand God and hear from God, where we can commune and fellowship with God. It is a place where God, if we are willing, will remove the distractions that keep us from fully receiving from God and will allow us to have a laser focus on Him so that we can really engage with Him where we can really, if you will, get into Him and He get into us. That's what it means to be in the Spirit. It's really the only way to be, you know, fully 
focused and fully engaged with God and to truly receive from Him all that He has for us. To unveil Himself to us. And so I hope here this morning that every person here is in the Spirit. Because it's only through the Spirit that we will truly, again, be able to receive the things that God has for us that He wants us to receive. And before we move on, let me say this, that we as the church, we need to make sure that we do things as God prescribes them rather than maybe getting caught up in our own way of thinking or even the way our Christian culture thinks a lot. And, and how I mean that is that for many Christians who say we'll attend church somewhere in the world today, they come with the expectation or the understanding that for the first 15-20 minutes of our worship service, as we sing praises to God, as we worship, I'm going to use that time to, to get me into the Spirit. That's what many Christians feel the worship time is. It's a time for me to, to sort of detach myself from all that I experienced this past week, to come with all of my burdens and baggage and everything else that I'm carrying, and to use that time to get me in the right place. Or, if at the very least, by the end of the service, by the time I go through all the worship and, and I hear the Word of God, then I leave the church, if you will, in the Spirit, because I certainly didn't come in the Spirit. And what I want to declare today is that's not how God ever wanted the church to operate. See, He wants His people to come in the Spirit. How much more and better would our worship time be if instead of us using that time to try to get to a certain place, we were already there with God? How much better would it be that we came to church in the Spirit and that we allowed ourselves to, to uh, let God get us there before we even get out of our car and come into the building? You see, in that way, worship will be so much better for us. We will receive so much more through our worship time, and we will receive so much more through our time in the Word if we come in the Spirit. So let me back up again. Part of the practicality of that is, and I realize it's a challenge for some of you more than others, especially those of you that don't consider yourself morning people, but that might require you, even on Sunday, which I know is one of those precious few days on the weekend that you get to sleep in, that you sacrifice a little bit of extra time on Sunday, that instead of getting to a place where Sunday morning at your home is absolute chaos, and where all of you are running around, you know, with your hair on fire, trying to get everything done to get here on time... And when you get here, you're not in a good place. That you go, you know, I'm going to try to do as, as humanly possible what I need to do to make sure that when I get there, I am in 
the Spirit. I have allowed the Spirit of God to already get me to a place where instead of, in a sense, missing some of the things that God has for me, because I'm trying to use the worship time and time in the Word to get me to where I already should be, that we start out there. The exaltation of the Spirit. Notice also here in Revelation chapter 1, we are reminded and taught about the sufficiency of the Spirit. I want to go back now to chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where John tells us that the entire Trinity, in a sense, is writing and and revealing these things to him. Verse 4, he starts out with God the Father. From John to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from he who is, he who was, and he who is still to come. God the Father. Then you'll notice in verse 5 very clearly, it also says, Oh, in this letter, this revelation is also from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. But in between the Father and the Son, notice also in verse 4 at the end, it says, And from the seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit of God, who is before the throne of God. You say, How does that illustrate for me the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit? Well, notice he is is described here as the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit that literally presence is before the throne of God. And so you see here again, the entire Trinity is revealing themselves through the letter of Revelation. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And the Spirit is portrayed this way because it ties in with what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 11.2, where he portrays the Spirit of God as this seven spirits or sevenfold spirit. The number seven is used in the Bible as a number that illustrates completion or perfection, that It's everything that I need. He is everything that I need. And in in Isaiah 11, 2, here's how the Spirit is described. He is the Spirit of the Lord, of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and of respect and reverence for God. In other words, it is saying to us, whatever we need, we can find through the Holy Spirit and His provision. If you go over to chapter 4 and look at verse 5, the Holy Spirit here is illustrated or described as seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a moment when we talk about the illumination of the Spirit. But I do want to point this out, and I want you to keep this in mind later on. The word for flaming torches here is describing self sustaining light. Keep that in mind. Self-sustaining light. And why is the Spirit of God described as seven flaming torches? Because He's the light of God. He is the fire of God. He he illuminates us. He, He energizes us. And that's why He is described here again as a seven flaming torch. Then if you go over to chapter 5, And look at verse 6. The the Spirit here is described as having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
seven horns. Because horns in the Bible are illustrative of power and might. And the Holy Spirit here is seen, again, as the omnipotent, almighty God. Just as God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Father, all power resides in the Spirit. And we have learned throughout our study of the Holy Spirit that because He lives within us, we have that same supernatural, unlimited power available to us through the provision of the Holy Spirit. Notice also, He is described as having seven eyes. This again reminds us of the omniscience of God. The fact that He sees all things. He sees into all things. He knows all things. He understands all things. He has perfect wisdom and insight because of His omniscience. So throughout the book of Revelation, you have these, in a sense, illustrations and descriptions of the Holy Spirit. And all of them are pointing to the fact that as the omniscient Holy Spirit, as the almighty, omnipotent Holy Spirit, as the one who burns with perfect light and illumination and fire, as the one who is the sevenfold spirit that again harkens us back even to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we have in the Holy Spirit all that we need. If there's one message, even in the very last book of the Bible, it is this. God's divine provision in the Holy Spirit is more than enough, more than adequate for every situation, possibility, or contingency that you and I will ever face as human beings on this earth. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, Zechariah 4.6. And you and I can find all that we need to live life on this earth to the glory of God and navigate each and every situation that life will bring through the enablement and empowerment of His Holy Spirit who lives within us. I hope today that as we leave this series on the Holy Spirit, that one of those things that resonates in your heart and mind continually will be, I have the sufficiency of God living within me. I have more than enough. I have all that I need living within me through the person uh, and the provision of the Holy Spirit. But John doesn't stop there. After he's talked to them and uh, to us about the exaltation of the Spirit and the sufficiency of the Spirit, I also want to mention today the domain of the Spirit. I want to go back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. Notice again... When this letter was written and revealed by God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, who was it sent to? Well, it was sent, we know, to seven churches in the province of Asia. And then over in verse 11, I mentioned these seven churches, seven local churches, one in Ephesus, one in Smyrna, one in Pergamum, one in Thyatira, one in Sardis, one in Philadelphia, and one in Laodicea. Why is that important? Because in a day and age where the local church is minimized even by Christians and marginalized, where many Christians today say, I don't need to be part of a local church. I don't need to engage and be active in a local church. 
I, I don't need to participate and support and be part of what a local church is doing. That mentality, that philosophy, that attitude cuts against everything that the Holy Spirit and where He works stands for in the Bible. In fact, if you go to chapter 2, I want to begin there. Notice that every one of these specific messages to the church has one thing that is in common throughout. And that is this verse or this phrase. Start with me in Revelation chapter 2 and look at verse 7. To the church at Ephesus, to the one who has an ear, had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then if you go up to verse 11, another church, the church at Smyrna, to the one who has an ear, they had better hear what the Spirit says to the church. Verse 17, the church at Pergamum, to the one who has an ear, had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church at the Tyra. Notice in verse 29. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says the same thing to the church at Sardis in chapter 3. In verse 6. He says the same thing to the church at Philadelphia in chapter 3 verse 13. And he says the same thing to the church at Laodicea in chapter 3 verse 22. But the church must give ear to what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. You see, the Holy Spirit has a particular and specific and very personal message that He tries to reach us with each day as individual followers of Christ. No doubt about that. He works with us on an individual, personal basis. But, as we learn in the book of Revelation, it is also very high on the priority of the Holy Spirit that He also has very specific messages, things that He wants to get to us. And it's for the community of believers as a whole. And it's something different than what He's going to share with us personally. It's something that you and I, if we are not in church, if we are not part of the church, then we're not going to hear. I mean, think about it even in the book of Revelation. Do you realize this letter was literally read in all of those seven churches one Sunday? How would you have liked to have missed that Sunday? What did you do last Sunday? Oh, I blew church off. What did you guys do in church? We heard the letter of Revelation from the Apostle John. Really? Oh. You see, it is important that we come to church because not only does God's Holy Spirit want to speak to us and give us messages outside the church as we personally commune with God through our prayer time and our time in His Word and, and other ways, but God has messages that He wants all of us to hear as well. And He's only going to give them in the church through his designated uh, pastor teachers that he has called to fulfill those roles. And we, you and I will miss so much 
about what the Spirit of God wants to teach us and instruct us about and do in our lives if we are not coming to church to hear the specific things that God has to say only to His people as a community of believers. That's why Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So many Christians today are involved in so many things outside the church that they cannot give proper attention to the local church. And all I'm telling you out of love is, not simply because I'm the pastor of a local church, but I'm telling you out of love and out of what I know the Bible teaches about this, that you and other Christians are missing so much by not participating and engaging in the local church anymore than you may be up to this point. The next thing we learn about the Spirit in the book of Revelation is the illumination of the Spirit. Again, I go back to verse 20 of Revelation 1, where we are told very clearly here that these seven lampstands are the seven churches. And why I told you I wanted you to remember that the illustration of the Holy Spirit in chapter 4 was these seven flaming torches that were self-sustaining because the word in the Greek language that's used here for lampstand is not the same as that. It is not a self-sustaining light that's being portrayed here. It is an oil-dependent light. So God is saying, I'm self-sustaining. I'm self-existent. I do not need anything or anyone outside of myself to be who I am. But you as the church, especially as my lampstand, as my light, you are absolutely dependent fully on my oil. And we know that the Bible teaches us that another symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is oil. And God is basically saying, I want you to be a lampstand. In fact, Tony even prayed about this in his prayer this morning. I want you to be a lampstand. But the only way you and I can be the light as a church that God wants us to be is by learning to be fully reliant and fully dependent on the Holy Spirit who will light us up. Think about the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. He who chooses to follow me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice Jesus doesn't say everyone who believes in me. He says everyone who chooses to continue to follow me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In the book of Ephesians, The Apostle Paul talking to a church, the same church that's addressed here in Revelation, the local church at Ephesus, he says to them, wake up, rise up, and let the Lord's light shine on you. Because the only way that you and I can be light in the Lord is to allow His light to shine through us. We don't have that supernatural light in of ourselves. The way you and I are light in the Lord is by following the Lord fully and allowing His light to literally beam and shine through us. Let me take you back 
You don't have to turn there, but I want to take you back to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me just get there. Listen to what Jesus says to his people. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. God calls us individually and us corporately to be a lampstand, a light. Everywhere we go, And especially as the church is illustrated here in the book of Revelation, we as the oasis, like every other local church, we are to be a lampstand. One that is illuminated by the Holy Spirit and the light that he has, that seven flaming torch in Revelation 4, 5. But you and I, here's a warning to all of us. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes the light of a church isn't evident. There may be a lot of activity in that church. There may be a lot of ministry. There may be a lot of running to and fro from its members. But is there really the light of God emanating from that group of people? The Bible says there are times where the church at one time burned bright with the light of God, but over time the light began to go out and to be dim. And so it's a wake-up call for us that just because we were light at once and maybe light now doesn't necessarily mean unless we continue to follow the Lord fully that we will continue to be the light. And one of the awesome responsibilities that I already sense from God as the pastor of this church is that God truly wants to use this group of people in a very special way here in the East Valley. That's why I've said before, it is no accident. God is in the details. It is no accident that when you and I moved from Basha, just a couple miles up the road, that God strategically placed us in the neighborhood and the place in the East Valley where he did. Why do you think he placed us there? So that amongst all these other entities, you and I could be a light for God. That people could see the light of God in and through our community of believers so that any of those who were looking for light and who were living in darkness could see there's a group of people, they have found the light. And you and I can declare, I saw the light. I have the light. And it's not my light. It is simply God shining through me through the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I can never light up anything on our own. But when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells and resides amongst his people, he will light up a church and he will put it on a hill somewhere that it's very conspicuous for others to see and begin to draw people to them, not for our sakes, but for the glory of God and the spiritual benefit of other people. And I want to be that lampstand in the East Valley of this area. Finally, I want to share with you one last thing that the book of Revelation teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And that is in the very last chapter 
of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 17, we have the invitation of the Spirit. Almost at the very end of the Bible, you have here in verse 17, the invitation of the Spirit. John writes, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, which by the way, that is you and I, the bride of Christ, the church, say, are continually and saying right now, come, let the one who hears the invitation echo it and say to others, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come, and let the one who wants it take the water of life free of charge. Now, folks, to me, this verse is talking about way more than accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. This is an invitation from the Spirit and from God's people and from anyone who would hear and echo this message to really receive all that God has for us in this life. And it starts with the invitation. You see, the Spirit of God, right now even, today, here in this auditorium, is saying to some of you, come, come, take what God has for you. Come. God is always inviting people. Throughout the Gospels, many of the parables that Jesus taught, you remember them? They were always about invitations that God was sending out. God was having a great banquet and he sent out invitations. And what does Jesus say? The majority of the people said, no, thanks, God. I'm not interested in what you have. Then Jesus said, one time, God had this great feast. And he sent out and said, I want you to come. Come to my banqueting table. Come to the king's table. And most of them said, no, I'm too busy, God, or I got this or got that. So throughout the Bible, you have this thought that God is always inviting people. He he wants us to be part of of what He has and and what He has for us and His plans and purposes for us, not only individually, but as a church. And He wants us to know Him more. And He invites us to come. But He won't force us. Notice what the invitation says in verse 17. Let the one who wants it. Let me stop there. Do we really want what God wants us to have? Or do we more want what we want? Or even what others want us to have? You see, it's not even just a matter of hearing and and grasping and comprehending that God is inviting me to something because the real question comes that I can hear the invitation of God. I can know He's inviting me in to more of Him and more of what He has for me. But unless I want it, I'll never take it. I've got to want it. And I've not just got to want it. I've got to want all that he has for me. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And then I love the word take here. It's used by the Spirit here. If you want it, take it. You know what that word means in the Greek language? It means to assertively and decisively grab a hold of it tightly. That's what it means to take. See, so many Christians, I think many Christians, they've heard the invitation because it's impossible not to hear the invitation of the Spirit. The Spirit witnesses with our spirit. We, it's not that we don't feel invited. 
The questions come to, do we, because God won't force us to take what he has for us. So the question becomes, do I want it? Do I want all that God has for me? And do I really want to take it? Do I really want to grab hold of it and make it mine, you see? And here's why this is important. I was sharing this with the folks on Wednesday night, and I told them I would repeat this this morning when we were talking about Abram and the nation that God said, I will create a nation out of you, Abram, if you follow me. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. When God set in the Bible the parameters, the boundaries, if you will, of the promised land that God wanted to give his people, Israel, it was 300,000 square miles of land. Do you know in the history of Israel, at the height of what they took, what they grabbed a hold of that God had for them, do you know how many square miles it was? 30,000 square miles. One-tenth of what God really wanted to give them, they took one-tenth of it. That's all they got to. Now, one day, because God is true to his promises and to the covenant that he made with Abram, one day in the millennial kingdom, the Israelites and the Jewish people, they will occupy all 300,000 square miles that God said will be yours one day. But here's the point for us. It is this very truth that God had way more that he wanted to give these people than they really wanted to take. And my fear in my own life and the fear that I have as the pastor of this church, because it's been true in so many other churches and in the lives of so many other Christians, that you and I will live our whole life and maybe even as the life of this church and we will never take all that God has for us. That we will come up to a point like the Israelites and we will stop and we will say, That's as far as I want to go with you, God. And it may be through unbelief and fear like the Israelites. Oh, God, there's giants in the land. We can't go in there, even though you told us you would conquer them for us. What's keeping us from opening up our arms and letting God pour into our laps all that he has for us? Is it because we really don't want it? Is it because we don't want it all that he has for us? Or is it because we simply haven't taken it yet? And so the invitation to all of us and to a church today is this. Come. God is saying to all of us, come. I've got so much I want to give you. I've got so much that I want to pour into your life. But you've got to want it. And you got to want it all. And you got to be willing to literally reach out and grab it and take it and pull it in and make it a part of your life. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I pray today that as the invitation of the Spirit of God goes out here today for us to come and for us to take what you have for us as a church. 
and as individuals, that God, we would hear the voice of the Spirit of God today in this place. That we would hear your voice within our own hearts and within our own minds. And that God, we would each respond in a positive way to you today. Maybe some here today, they will take what you have for them. And they'll be able to stay right where they are, which is fine. And do business with you, God, and with your spirit. But there may be others here this morning that because the taking of what God has for us is is so decisive and so assertive, so intentional, so powerful, that there may be some here today that they want to come here to this altar at the front of this auditorium declaring, God, I want to take what you have for me. Maybe through my own fears and, and failures or whatever, maybe through even the, the voices in my head and the voices I allow in my life and all of this, God, I've never really wanted all that you had for me or I doubted in some way that that could be possible and I've never really taken it. But today, God, that changes. Because today I'm praying as the pastor of this church that as a church, as we prepare for this next season in our church's history, that we as a church will declare to God, God, we want all that you have for us. We don't want just some of what you have for us, just part of what you have for us. We want it all, God. Pour it out, God, into our laps as a church. And may we also declare that to you as individuals. God, we don't want just some of what you have for us on this earth. We don't want just part of it, God. We want it all. Pour it out, God, and we'll grab a hold of it and we'll take it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. For his glory and honor, amen.